Welcome to Edgemont Bible Church in Fairview Heights, Illinois, where our mission is to glorify God by guiding people into a discipleship relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to today's message. We're going to start this morning, Why Jesus Came. Why did Jesus come? Well, I'm going to start it back before history began. So I'm going to set up the platform here as a big timeline. I'm going to start right right about in here. I think there's something like a microphone jack or something right here. Whatever there is here, that's the beginning of time. All right? And we're going to work our way through so that this represents about the cross area for us. And then back over here represents the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. All that's time. So if you would, all of this right here is time. This is a created thing. It, it, it was created. There wasn't such a thing as time before God creates time. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So in the beginning, he's creating time. He's creating space. He's creating matter. He's creating two, two kingdoms that will be formed into one. He's going to create the kingdom of heaven, which is comprised of the angels and the other beings that are there. We get some description of. He's creating the kingdom of earth, which is going to be human beings and all the beings that go with that. And he's got those two brought together in one great thing called the kingdom of God. The rest of it is all about the history there. But I want to take you today back here. Back here where the base is. This is where the foundation is. (laughs) Oh, that's a different kind of base. All right. What happened back here? Do you assume that everything that we know from here just happened by chance accidents and just kept stumbling around and falling around until finally we fall into the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? May I suggest to you, that's not what the Scriptures teach. It says in Titus, 2 Timothy, that God promised eternal life before the foundation of the world. God promised that he knew people before the foundation of the world. God said that he loved people before the foundation of the world. God said he had something in mind before the foundation of the world. May I suggest to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit living in eternity mapped the whole thing out. The whole of creation is not some imaginary thought that just popped into their head. They've got the whole thing planned out. They have a complete story back here. You understand what I'm saying? They've got the whole thing done. They know what they're going to do. If if, if I can say this, since they're in eternity, there's time over there, and I want to stay out of time there. Um, They're in eternity. They're back over here. That's eternity future. This is after the millennium. This is after he's delivered up the kingdom. It's all done. He's back over here. Can I tell you something? He already knows you. He already knows you over here. He's going to introduce himself to you sometime in your timeline, but he already knows you. He's already said what this whole thing is about. You're already known. Everybody follow where I'm at? So this is before time begins, and he's planning it out. That's when time ends, and there won't be any more time, and you're in it. When did he know you? Here. You see where we're coming from? So then, what's all this? This is the Bible. 
This is the Bible. All of this right here is what the Bible is. This is him telling his story. The story that the Father, Son, and Spirit created here and brought to pass here in this thing called time. Everybody with me? All right. He's outside of time. He's living in eternity. He's knowing the end from the beginning. Doesn't that make sense? If you're the one who knows the story and you're the one who creates the time in which the story is going to be played out, wouldn't you know the beginning from the end since you already know what's beyond the end? God said, there is no God like me. In Isaiah 43, 45, 47, he said, there's no God like me that knows the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning. Why? Because everything else is created in this story. Nothing else can know what he knows. He wrote the story. And everything that's here only knows their part of the story and whatever he shares with them. You with me? So there can be no angel that can know the end from the beginning. They're not eternal like he is. There can be no human being, regardless of what they say about him being a seer or whatever, that can know the end from the beginning because they're not eternal. Only one can know that, and it would be the father of the, or I should say, the everlasting father, the prince of peace, the wonderful counselor. That's who would know because he already knew the story. He is going to progressively reveal that plan to successive generations. So as each of these generations keep on having children, he starts sharing with parts of that story with them all along. He's going to share part of that story with Abraham. And he's going to tell Abraham something about a land, something about blessing, something about a seed that's going to bless all the nations, which tells him, there must be a lot of nations out there yet. There's a whole lot of things he's telling Abraham. But he doesn't tell him everything. He's going to tell Moses a whole lot more. And then to correct all the stories, the false stories that are going on around this, he goes back and writes the Torah to correct all that mess that had been made up to that point. So now he's going to let us know how did heaven and earth come into existence? How, how did man fall? How did all these other angels get involved with this mess? How did all of that take place? And he's giving to Moses the authority to take down his word to cover that for us. So when you read the first five books, that was written to negate all the other stories that had been told. All the other mythologies are all negated in that one book. That's why it's called instruction. It's the Torah. Torah doesn't just mean law, kids. You're, we'll miss a whole lot if we're just going to call it law. Torah doesn't start at Exodus 20. It starts at Genesis 1. That's where the instruction is. That tells us all the beginning. 
That's why it's important for us to stick with that, because that's where the story is. That's where everybody has attacked the story. You follow me? So what we're having is God telling the story they created here successively to one generation after another. It's going to be his testimony. It's going to be prophecy to us. Because we're not outside of time, we're in time. And he's going to tell to this generation something that's going to happen in generations out here they can't possibly know. But the one who's outside of time in eternity can know. You follow me? So why Jesus comes is to finish that story to give us more information about what that story is so that you can know and understand what the end of the story is. You with me? This is why Jesus is coming, to complete the story, to give us the full ending of it all, to do as they had planned to do here. Father, Son, and Spirit planning to do out there and then letting each of us know a little bit of that story as it goes along. Why just a little bit? Because he wants to connect these people here with these people here. If he gives it all to these people here, not much need for us to be here. But if he tells a little bit here, a little more here, a whole lot more here, and a little bit here, then all of us are connected to everybody in time who believed that story. Are you with me here? Now we're all connected together. Why? Because you're going to take all of those. Oh, when I think of what Jesus did, I get so excited. Because you're going to take all those people, all these people who had part of the truth here, all the people who had part of the truth here, people who had the, the, the gospel here, people who had the rest of the story here going, huh, I don't know exactly how it works, but it works. They're all going to be drawn together in a single person that he's going to have on a restored earth, just as he said. And you're going to be with him forever. He's got Jewish people. He's got to finish promises too. He's got tribulation saints he's got to finish promises to. He's got a church that he's got to finish promises to. And he does it all in one big foul swoop. It is so exciting. But I digress. Hang on a second. We want to stick to it. All right. He created one kingdom with two divisions. That's why this is so important to get this, kids. He created one kingdom, the kingdom of God. It has two parts to it. It has a more spiritual part, which is the kingdom of heaven. That's those angels and all those beings there that are said to be spirits. Elohe, if you will, Elohim. And he created earth people, which is us, real touchable stuff that have real spirit living in us, so that we're connected with both of those. And he created them so they would be together, and both those worlds met in a place called Eden. That was the temple of God. That was God dwelling with his people. That was God dwelling with the angels. That was both kingdoms brought together. And it wouldn't be until transgression showed up that that unity would be threatened at all. Okay, so let me me go back over a little bit and do a little more of this. Here we go. There's going to be a break in that unity. 
He made them to be a unified thing, and there was a break in it. It started with heaven. Yeah, the kingdom of heaven had a transgression in it, a transgression. That is a variance from the story. Someone's decided, I want to tell a different story. So the adversary, the liar, which is why he's called a liar, tells a different story about creation. He tells a different story about who you can trust. He tells a different story about creation and all the ramifications that come in. He says to the woman, you shall not surely die, for God knows in the day that you eat thereof, you will be like him. That was a variation in the story. Everybody follow that? But that variation is going to be the most damning thing that could have happened to us because we believed it. We trusted that variation. And we thought of ourselves as gods. We thought of ourselves as sovereigns who could make up our own minds, do our own things. We took that which was good authority, we took that which was good will that was given to us and switched it as if we were the sovereigns over things. We're not. We can't be sovereign because we're not eternal. We can't be sovereign because it's not our world. It's not our story. It's his story and his world. Everybody with me? So you're going to have to have somebody that puts this unity back together again. you got transgression in heaven, and that transgression in heaven came to be a transgression on earth, and it didn't stop with that one transgression on earth. My, my, after that transgression on earth, the fall of us believing uh, the, the, the story of the variation instead of believing God. Listen, all life is built on trust, kids. When we did not trust God, that broke our lives. And I'm going to just share with you today. I don't know what, are you, what you're trusting in here today, but if you're not trusting in Christ, you're in a world of hurt. You're believing a lie. It's not the truth. And because it's not the truth, you're going to die with that, alone. There is only one truth. There's only one story. It is the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the story that was created before the foundation of the world that's been told all through time in that which is called the Scripture, and there's only one thing to trust, and that's the one who made that story. So if you're believing anything else, You've been grossly deceived, my friend. I'd like to call you home today. Call you back to truth. Call you back to reality. This is the way this history is going to work out. It's going to end in Jesus coming again and judging everything that was wrong all through time. Everybody with that? Because there were transgressions committed and because people believed in those transgressions and followed those transgressions. There were the transgressions of the angels trying to uh, completely mess up the world by marrying women and having all kinds of children that were not godly children, that were not even human, genetically modified organisms, if you would. A judgment followed that, as you can understand why that judgment had to follow. It's not human anymore. It become modified. So he has to give a judgment. He's going to start again. He starts a reboot. And that reboot led to a great, a great, uh, rebellion. The great rebellion was going to be when people said, you know, we know that God spared us through that flood. 
We know that we're here today because God spared us through that flood. But if it hadn't been a flood, we wouldn't need to be sparing. So we hate God because he gave a flood. Follow that? Therefore, we don't want a part of him anymore. We want to be our own. We want to be our own rulers. We want to be our own sovereigns. We want to be the ones that control this earth. We don't want him anymore. And secondly, we don't want those angels anymore. They were nothing but trouble to us before. We don't want them anymore either. We'll create our own world. And so they built the Tower of Babel. A judgment was to follow once again. There's confusion. Scattered them all throughout the whole world. That's why Jesus came. Because it's so messed up. It's in so many different directions, so many variations, so many stories told that are not true. It was to restore the story that is God's story. It's a story that you're going to get to know as prophecy, but what he knows as testimony. I ran across this in Revelation 19.10, where he was talking to one of the angels that gave John a, a message, and John was so thrilled with it, it said that John fell down at his feet, grabbed him, and started worshiping. And the guy said, get up, get up, get up, get up, get up. You can't do that. I'm, I'm like you. I'm not worthy of worship. I'm just another human. I can tell you this, though. I carry the testimony of Jesus. I carry the truth about Jesus. I carry what that testimony is, as you do. Because the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. (laughs) The testimony of Jesus is to bring us back to the truth. Why he is the way, the truth, the life, he's everything. And he's bringing us back to explaining what God's about. He's bringing us back to the truth about God. He's bringing us back to the truth of the story that had been buried by so many others. And the way it had been told before, Hebrews tells us, God had spoken to us in times past by the prophets. And the prophets had given us this little information, this little bit of information, this little bit of information. But now we have been spoken to by the Son of God who has told us, this is the plan. I'm bringing the kingdom of God back together again. This is the plan. The kingdom of God has been restored. Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of earth, back together again. I am getting a people for myself. I am gathering a people for that new kingdom. I will judge the angels for their rebellion against them. I'm bringing a people here. And he's bringing that people here through Jesus Christ. Death burial, and resurrection. Everybody follow that? He's got to bring a death to what the old thing was, so he dies. But he's bringing a new thing into being, so he's raised from the dead. So everybody that trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ will not perish, but have everlasting life. Everybody follow that? That's why he came. We have in the Bible the plan unfolding. If you want to see the plan, just start at Genesis and read your way through. And you watch it just unfold right before your very eyes. 66 books with 40 different authors written over a huge period of time and all with the same message. 
Well, it was a call back to the truth. A call back to the Word of God. Jesus, the Word of God. It is His story. Everybody with me? So you can watch that plan unfold from the mind of God to His imprisoned, lost sons in time. That's the spirit of prophecy. It was one of the songs we sang this morning. I don't remember which one it was, Jeff, but one of those songs just mentioned exactly that captive. It mentioned the fact that we were captive or in prison. I don't remember which the exact word was, but it was one of the songs we sang this morning. And I appreciate that thought because that's what we are. Kids, the sons of God, the children of God, have been imprisoned by lies and variations to the truth. And the Spirit of God has called you back to the truth. You have been called by the Lord Jesus Christ to come and be a part of that coming kingdom that's been brought together by the Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus came was the unfolding of the drama of the ages. When Jesus came, it unfolded this whole thing. Now you begin to see it all. It starts to show up. I see that's what the prophets meant. That's what the prophets meant. Jesus is fulfilling those prophecies. Kids, it's a wonderful thing. To what detail Jesus fulfills those prophecies. You see, he can fulfill them because it's his testimony. You follow me? It's his story. He knows what the story has to be. He knows what has to be said. He knows what's the truth. He's telling it. For us, it's prophetic. And now we get to see in Jesus all those prophecies come together. And certainly this time of year is one of those times when we get to see a lot of those prophecies. Where's he going to be born? Bethlehem. How do we know? It's what he said. When's he going to be born? Daniel says it's going to be after 483 years. Okay, so it's 483. Got it. It should be right now. All those things that he said in such tiny detail, fully fulfilled by Jesus Christ. Why? It's his story. He is the full truth. So when Jesus comes, the time was right. God doesn't, doesn't fool around with time. He knows when the time is right. What's he done? All right, it's this little block of time right here. This little block of time is real, real important. This is called Second Temple Judaism. This, this is the place at which the Second Temple was built without the presence of the Spirit. <sighs> without any new revelation from God. Oh, but God was still working in this. You see, in this little block of time is Esther. In this little block of time is Nehemiah. In this little block of time is Ezra. Tonight is Hanukkah. Right at 6 o'clock tonight, Hanukkah starts. Now, over in Israel, it's already started. What is Hanukkah? Well, it's not Jewish Christmas. Hanukkah is a reminder, it's an eight-day reminder that something really spectacular took place in this little period of time. You see, the Syrians had just taken over all of Israel, and they were defiling the temple and doing all kinds of things to the temple. They came upon one city where Mr. Maccabee lived. Mr. Maccabee and his sons tackled the Syrians and whooped them. That's an Arkansas term. It means he beat them, okay? He defeated the Syrians. 
And people got excited about it and went into a rebellion and overthrew the Syrians. They even came back to the temple and got the temple back again, cleaned that rascal out because the Syrians had defiled it all over the place, cleaned it all right back out again. And as they cleaned it all back out, they found a menorah. They found the candelabra. But in it was only enough oil for one day. They put it up. They lit it. Day one passed, and there was more oil. Day two passed, there was more oil. And all eight days, the oil remained. They called it the Feast of Dedication, Hanukkah, because it was a miracle from God in a time when God wasn't doing anything. God always did something with him. Yeah, he wasn't speaking. What'd he do? Well, as I put here, he gave them a famine for the word. There was no new revelation coming back, but everybody's running around trying to see, what does God say? What does God say? What does God say? And all sorts of groups grew up during this little period of time. And those groups were saying, let's get back to the word of God. Let's get back to the word of God. Let's get the, that's when the Pharisees came up. They started out good, kids. They started out good. They wanted a restoration of the truth. That's when the Essenes started. They wanted the truth. They wanted things to be done right. There were all kinds of reform groups that were trying to get things done right. They wanted a restoration of the faith of Israel. And they began to say, Messiah is coming. Messiah is coming. What did God do? You can't make people drink, but you can put salt in their oats. You know what I'm saying? So he made them hungry. He made them want the Messiah to come. So that when Messiah does get to come, he's coming to a people who are saying, yes, yes, we want him, we want him, bring him. So when Jesus comes, He's coming to a people that he prepared for it. Why? (laughs) He knows the story. He's living out the story. He's telling the story, and he's getting the people ready for the story. Well, now now he's got the people ready. you got to get the players in place. And that's what he did. He started getting players in place. What's he going to go to? Zechariah. And here's old Zechariah in the temple doing his thing, just like a normal, everyday, run-of-the-mill temple day. And somebody's in there with him. Nobody's supposed to be in there. Just the priest. What are you doing in here? And he announces, you're going to have a baby. And that baby is going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. After a little bit of give and take there, he loses his voice and can't talk anymore. And sure enough, in about nine months, he has a baby. Well, he doesn't. <laughs> Elizabeth does, all right? Now, that would have been a miracle, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, but Elizabeth does. And at the same time that's going on, what's going on elsewhere? Mary's getting a visit. Mary just happens to be in the lineage of David who had been promised there would be a king on your throne forever, and of his kingdom there'd be no end, Uh, who through Isaiah had been promised that the government will rest upon his shoulders, there won't be any end of his kingdom, who Isaiah 11 had promised he's coming full with the Spirit, and when he comes with the Spirit, he will have an everlasting kingdom. 
And you know, this little teenage Jewish girl is going to be the fulfillment of that. God's getting his players ready. He's getting the shepherds ready. He's getting time ready. He's doing things at the right time. Listen, everybody's got to be at the right time. You follow me? Everything's got to be at the right time. Who can do that better than the one who's outside of time who can say, I know the beginning from the end. I know when I'm going to have a conception. I have a conception here so that I have the baby here so that this one will have here and there because I'm bringing my son into this world. You got to get shepherds ready. They got to be ready out on that, that hillside. Isn't it amazing that God picks shepherds? When you look back at this little thing, Cain and Abel, it's all about shepherds. Abraham, about shepherds. Isaac, Jacob, it's all about shepherds. Why does God like shepherds? David, all about a shepherd. And so when he's ready to make his announcement, <laughs> can you need to see back here, they're saying, how do you want to make the announcement, son? I don't know. How about, hey, how about shepherds? Shepherds, what's shepherds? <laughs> you know. We don't, oh, we haven't created sheep yet. Okay, yeah, we're going to go. You follow what I'm saying? They're going to do that, and they're going to be saying this to those shepherds. And you got to get angels ready. Angels ready to make announcements and pronouncements, and they got to go. So now you're getting heaven stirred up. It's been kind of quiet, but it's not quiet now. No, heaven's all stirred up. You've got angels going here. You've got angels going here. You've got shepherds going this way. You've got all kinds of miraculous things happening. You've got old folks showing at the temple who can look at the baby and say, yes, that's Messiah. How are they knowing that? By the Spirit of God. The, the, the angels are going to announce to the shepherds, you find them in swaddling clothes. Guess what? They don't have to look very far because they know where swaddling clothes are. Where do you find swaddling clothes? You find swaddling clothes where the shepherds live because that's the way they kept the newborn sheep clean. You see, you can't sacrifice sheep that are defiled, so you have to keep them clean. Uh, stable's kind of not a clean place necessarily. So what do you do? You take the newborn lamb and you wrap him in what they call strips of cloth, the swaddling cloths. Well, if they're going to find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, where would you look? Back where they just came from. So they're going to go to that manger area, and they're going to find him there. Perfect timing. Perfect statements. When Jesus came. Now, I, I want to just share this with you. That's his story. It is not a story we're free to modify. It's his story, and you cannot modify it without telling a lie. Now, hang on here for just a moment. As I asked my Sunday school class, we through kings of Orient are, bearing gifts we traverse afar, field and fountain, moor and mountain, following yonder star. How many kings were there? We don't know. Were they kings? No. They were magi. By what authority do we find it ours to change? You understand what I'm saying? I don't care what your sentimental Christmas cards say from the Victorian days. 
I want to know what this is. Why? Because this is the story. Sentimentality is not the story. To modify the whole time for my convenience or to make myself feel better is not the story. Everybody follow me? You can't change it. It's not yours to change. It's been changed all throughout this period of time. We had the Egyptian way of changing it. We had the Babylonian way of changing it, the Sumerian way of changing it, the Native American way of changing it. We had ways of changing it all along. It's not ours to change. All right, let me go on. He came to redeem the cosmos. Now you say, my things may not reference, you don't have blanks today anyway. So you, you can afford to listen and not have to worry about whether it's the correct slide or not. All right. He came to redeem the cosmos. To do that, the Messiah had to be both Elohim and human. He had to be both of them fully. Couldn't be part human, part Elohim. That's the rebellion in Genesis 6. No, he has to be fully Elohim and fully human. Consequently, when Jesus comes into this world, he is fully Elohim, fully human. Why does it have to be? Because only the Elohim could rescue the kingdom of heaven. And only a human can rescue the kingdom of earth. What do you have when you have them mixed together in one person? Them both back together again. So this one person that is both Elohim and human is coming together to say the kingdom of God is at hand. What's he telling us? I'm about to bring it all back together again. I am bringing angel and human back together again in the relationship I determined for them here. Why do I know that? Because I wrote it, and I've been revealing it all this time. Heaven would have to be engaged with every part of this plan as required. You can't leave heaven out. So you've got to have angels speaking. You've got to have angels involved. You've got to have angels making proclamation. They've got to be involved in it because it's part of their redemption too. But only the first part of the mission would be completed when Jesus came. Only that first part. And that was all was needed to be completed in that first part. Nothing more needed to be completed. What did he do? He provided a way to the Father. What's he going to do? You see, out here, he's got a kingdom coming that's got to be populated with people. And they can't be the, the, the old flesh and blood people. They have to be something different because the flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So they have to be something different. So what he got to do? He's got to transform them. They've got to be born again. And they'll have to die in this body in order to get a new body so they can be in that heavenly kingdom. You follow where I'm at? You've got to have that resurrection. They've got to be resurrected, but they've got to be born again first. They've got to be changed inside. So the gospel of Jesus Christ does exactly that. When you believe in Jesus Christ, 
God takes the old man that was in you, that old sinful thing that was in you, and crucifies it to the cross. Therefore, that old man dies, and a new man then, because of the resurrection, is created in you. You are a new creature. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Why? So you can be in that kingdom with him. That's why he's got all this time going between there. He's populating the kingdom with people who are new people. They've got to be new. You can't get in by yourself. You'll have to be renewed from God, that is, from heaven. You'll have to be renewed there, and you'll have to get a new body. You can't have those if you don't go through the death of Christ. Okay, so what happens when Jesus comes? Now we get to Revelation. What happens when Jesus comes? As we have seen over the past few days, and you say, we, I don't think we've opened our Bible once. We haven't. I've hoped you've known enough about what we've talked about to understand where we're coming from. Okay. We've been looking the last few weeks in Revelation 19 at what happens when Jesus comes. And we know that, that judgments are going to take place, lots of judgments, because you've got to correct everything that's been wrong. So he's got a judgment of angels that's going to have to take place. He's got a judgment of the church that has to take place. He has a judgment of the tribulation saints that has to take place. He has a judgment of nations that has to take place. All of that has to take place. So we know that's what's going to happen when Jesus comes. When Jesus comes, we know that those are all going to be righteous judgments. They're not going to be just put together by some hasty lawyer someplace. He's going to purify the earth. There has to be new heavens and new earth. Uh, you, you, you can't have the old ones once again. They are stained with blood, with death, and with sin. That all has to be purified, and he says he's going to do that by fire. Then, here comes the good part. He's going to have dwellings on earth with all people. You say, what people? All right, let's get us out here, and here's, here's what's going to get exciting. We're going to start talking about the millennium next, okay? Because I want you to see what your home's going to be. I want you to follow me this far. I don't have any idea what heaven is like for humans because that's not what's given to us in the Scriptures. What's given to us is what the kingdom is like. All right? So when when we talk about living in heaven forever, I'm going to remind you again, no, we're not. Heaven is our dressing room. It's where we get ready for living where we're going to live. Everybody with me? That's where we're going to live. That's what it's about. So I can tell you what that's about. But I can't tell you what it's like when the, when the son gives up the kingdom to the father and time passes away. I can't tell you what that's like. He didn't tell us. I can tell you this. It's out here someplace. And whatever it is out here someplace, he already saw it back here. And he's not talking about it. You know what I'm saying? The story he's been telling is this one, all along the timeline. But the time's going to be gone, and I don't know what's out there. But this is what I do know. In that kingdom, he has a restoration to the Jewish people. Ezekiel tells us that they get a temple back again. Ezekiel tells us that they get their land back again and all the tribes will have their portion of land and that it's going to produce in a powerful way, more than it's ever produced before. 
It says it will be producing so much that the people who are reaping are catching up with the people who are sowing, and the people who are sowing are catching up with the people who are reaping. That's a pretty fast season, kids. And it's all coming to fruit. That's going to be for all the people who are going to be born in that whole millennial period. He's got a special place for the church, and I think you're going to be excited when I show you what that special place is because he told us where it is. He told us what it's going to be about. That's why Jesus came. And that's why whether this is the time or what, I, I don't care. But I do know this. He really did come. He really was born. And it really was the way that he told it. I don't know whether our Christmas cards tell the truth or not. But I know he did. He told it exactly who it was. Brothers and sisters, Messiah is alive. And he's Messiah from before the foundation of the world, through all the junk of the world, through all the history of the world, and well beyond it in whatever eternity is. And you were privileged to hear the story. You were privileged to be born again by the Spirit of God who told you who Jesus was, opened your heart, and let you come home. I hope he's done that to somebody here today, that he opened your heart and you finally understand this, that Jesus is God's Son come in the flesh, and that I have an entrance into that everlasting kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ by trusting him, trusting him, plain and simple. Jesus is going to dwell with people just as he promised. That's really what the whole um, of tabernacles is really all about. The Feast of Tabernacles, which, by the way, hear me out, you're all going to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. Matter of fact, you better. Because he says those who don't come up for the Feast of Tabernacles, their land's not going to get water, not going to rain there. And for all the abundance you had the year before, you got zero the next year. Maybe you'll remember to go to the Feast of Tabernacles. Amen? A lot of things are going to be restored that aren't restored there right now, kids. Father, thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for the truth of the Word of God. Help us to stay with that truth, Father, and not vary from it. There's been enough variation as it is. Thank you for what you're going to do in each one of us. In Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. We hope God has encouraged you with today's message by Pastor White. Thank you for joining us at the Edgemont Bible Church. We'd love to have you visit us if you're ever in the area. For directions, more information, or to support the ministry of Edgemont Bible Church, please go to our website at edgemontbiblechurch.org. That's edgemontbiblechurch, all one word, dot org. You can also follow us on Facebook at Edgemont Bible Church, where the Sunday morning message is broadcast live.